0: for everyone born, a place at the table. That's certainly not how the first Christians saw it. And after Peter broke bread at the table of a Gentile, a non-Jew, the folks back home in Jerusalem were pretty upset. Why did you go to uncircumcised men and eat with them, they demanded. This may sound like a strange, even innocuous question to us, but behind it stands centuries of Jewish law, At that time, Christians still thought of themselves as Jews, people whose identity, even whose very survival, depended upon their adherence to the law. And that law included some pretty stringent rules about what animals were unclean and therefore not fit to be eaten if one wanted to maintain ritual purity. If you're curious to know what was and was not kosher, look up Leviticus 11 in the Old Testament. The law also stipulated that Jews were not to eat with or even enter the home of those who did not follow the law, those who were not circumcised and therefore not part of the community of faith, which pretty much meant everyone who wasn't Jewish. Lest we look askance at Jews for this, we need to think about those with whom we would feel uncomfortable eating people of another ethnicity perhaps, or people who haven't taken a bath and are dressed in maybe some different clothes than we would wear, maybe even some relatives. That Peter baptized people who were not Jewish without requiring that they adopt Jewish practices was shocking. That he sat down to eat with them was horrifying. Now obviously Peter was on the spot here, but instead of trying to defend his actions with the theological arguments, he simply shared his experience, unfolding his story step by step. What you may not realize is that this is the second telling of the story in Acts. The first and longer telling comes in the previous chapter, which begins with the experience of the Gentile in question, a Roman centurion named Cornelius, who lived in the city of Caesarea. Acts describes him as a devout man who feared God along with all of his household, a man who gave alms generously to the people and prayed constantly to God. Though Cornelius is a Gentile, he's a pretty good guy, and his devotion does not go unnoticed. As Peter related to the folks back home, Cornelius had been confronted by an angel who told him to send for Peter, will give him a message by which he and his whole household will be saved while this was happening peter in japa was having his own encounter with the divine in the form of a sort of heavenly picnic blanket carrying a variety of animals clean and unclean all mixed together a voice told him peter get up kill and eat repulse Peter refused, by no means, Lord, for nothing profane or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And then again, a hearty voice, what God has made clean, you must not call profane. As usual with Peter, it took a while for the message to sink in. Twice more, this vision came to him, and when it was over, messengers from Cornelius showed up, asking for him. To Peter's surprise, the spirit said, go with them. Don't make a distinction between you and them. God was at work, and Peter was not to stand in the way. And so it was. Peter and six others went to the home of Cornelius, who had gathered family and friends together in anticipation of his visit. As Peter began to share his testimony about Jesus, a testimony that you can again read in chapter 10, He was interrupted by the Holy Spirit, who suddenly fell on Cornelius and his household just, he tells his listeners, as it had on us at the beginning, that is, on Pentecost. In that moment, Peter says to them, I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Maybe in those moments, Peter also remembered how Jesus healed the servant of a Roman centurion and the daughter of a Syrophoenician woman. Maybe he recalled Peter sitting by a well and speaking with a Samaritan woman or casting out the demons that haunted a Gerizim man. Maybe he remembered how Jesus ate with those who were called sinners and cleansed lepers who were considered unclean. So Peter told Cornelius that he had come to understand that God shows no partiality. The decisive coming of the Spirit in that moment showed Peter that the scope of God's grace was wider, far wider than he ever imagined. If if then God gave them the same gift that he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, he tells his listeners, who was I that I could hinder God? According to James Boyce in the original Greek, the wording here indicates that God's act of grace of sending the Spirit was a done deal. And astounded by the Spirit, those who condemned Peter's actions are silenced. At the end of this passage, the Jerusalem Christians praise God in wonder and awe. Then God has even given to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. This will not be the end of the controversy, for the conversion of Cornelius is just the beginning. The Spirit will continue to act, and Peter will tell his story once again, this time at the first great council of the church called to settle what they spoke of as the Gentile question or what we might speak of as the Gentile question, the outcome of which would shift the church away from Judaism and transform the Christian faith forever. All through the history of the church, the Spirit has acted to open its doors, minds, and hearts to new possibility and to expand the scope of its mission beyond our human expectations. Over and over again, the Spirit moves to reshape the church, and what comes about astounds those who witness its workings, for the Spirit is always ahead of the church. As I read the scripture and think about the questions that the early church faced, I can't help but reflect on the current struggle over the rights of LGBTQIA persons in the United Methodist Church. I truly believe that this is a watershed moment in the life of the church and the many conversations that are now taking place are painful and challenging. Yet, even in my most cynical moments, even when I feel totally discouraged by all the turmoil, I trust that the Spirit is working, working among us, and that God is bringing about something new, something unexpected in our midst. I hope that beginning this Wednesday, many of you will join me for a conversation about this situation. And while I cannot pretend to be neutral, I hope and pray that along with you, I will be open to what you have to say, what others have to say, what the guidance of the Spirit is as we ponder what this means for our church and for us. But aside from that very specific situation, This passage poses some challenging questions to us as a church, as a whole. Questions like, with whom are we reluctant to share table fellowship? In what subtle, even unconscious ways might we be telling some people that they are not welcome? How do we need to change to be more hospitable, more inviting? What stories do we need to be willing to hear? At the same time, this story offers us some heartening food for thought. To whom are we being called to bring the good news of God's grace? And vice versa, who might just have the good news of grace to share with us? Where is the Spirit at work, not only in our church But in our neighborhoods, in our community, in the world, our country, how can we and how can we align ourselves with that movement? What stories do we have to share of God's grace and mercy and love? I have one to share this morning. As most of you know, we help with the Shared Bread program at First United Methodist Church, Redondo Beach, which provides a hot meal each week for those who are hungry. When this program began in 1992 was long before I became a pastor, and my husband and I were members of that church. We were excited to see this program begin, but we were also a little anxious about the people whom we would serve, not sure what to expect of those who would come to us hungry, People living on the streets, people who were sometimes dirty, people who were sometimes not in their right minds. But I'm here to tell you that over time, our fears lessened as we discovered that people who came were people pretty much like us. And some wonderful relationships developed. I remember John and Fred who became buddies with our daughter Katie. She was pretty young at the time and they had such fun together. They would tease her and she would tease them back and they even came to a piano recital, a band concert that she did. It was a wonderful thing. I remember the jokes and the small gestures of kindness and the expressions of gratitude that were shared. I remember one guest who came in for, I don't know, maybe a couple of months and would sit down at the piano in the hall and play wonderful music for us as people ate. And I remember Bob Crownover, who came as a guest and who eventually became the church custodian and then to our wonder, a talented lay speaker. Bob was one of the most humble and gentle and loving people that I ever met. And he and his wife, Betty, were beloved, faithful members of that church. And we were so proud when one year he was chosen to preach at the annual conference. Some of you may remember he even preached here the first year I was with you. I tell you, if the change in this man's life and in so many other lives brought about by shared bread isn't the work of the spirit, then I don't know what is. But perhaps the greatest transformation was not in the people whom we served and continue to serve, but in the hearts of those who learned to see Bob and others like him, not just as charity cases, but as people who are worthy of a place at the table and in the life of God of the church. As Paul told his story to the Christians in Jerusalem, they were moved to silence and to wonder. Perhaps like the Christians of old, we need to spend time not only in conversation together, but in our own silence, the silence of listening and reflection and prayer, a prayer for God's guidance and the courage to discern the spirit at work in our midst. Indeed, I do pray, pray that God may open our minds and hearts and doors as we seek to understand and to live the astounding truth that God indeed shows no partiality, but in every nation and every people, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him, even us. Thanks be to God for this amazing gift of grace. Amen. Amen.